But unless they're brought to their attention, that attorney is left just trusting that the, that the testifying expert is going to find these issues, and they may not. So that, that's a key role in uh, especially medical malpractice and medical negligence cases for a behind the scenes person who knows what they're looking at to draw the attorney's attention to these issues so that they can recreate their narrative by asking the right questions to the testifying expert. How can nurse practitioners leverage their skills and experience to become successful legal nurse consultants? Let's talk all about it with legal nurse consultant, NP and coach Elisa Collins, right here in episode 416 of the Nurse Keith Show. Well, hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal professional development, your career and the healthcare system in the big picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, or just share the show with anyone who you think might benefit from it or enjoy it from any podcast app where you happen to listen. And if you want to become a patron, go over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And I appreciate anything you would like to do at all to support the show. You can head over to nursekeith.com for the show notes, but of course, those show notes will be on any app where you happen to be listening. And like I said, I'm here with nurse practitioner and legal nurse consultant, Elisa Collins. And Elisa, let's start from the very beginning because I have covered legal nurse consulting before, but for those who aren't familiar, what is a legal nurse consultant? That's a great question. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm honored to be here. Um, A legal nurse consultant uh, is a nurse who assists primarily trial attorneys, but it can be anyone in the legal profession that deals with medical records. And so these can be any types of cases that involve medical records for the clients, such as personal injury cases, um, anything from personal injury cases to medical malpractice cases, medical negligence cases, to assault cases or uh, to even criminal cases such as assault cases or even murder cases or rape cases. Wow. Okay. And legal nurse consultants, you know, the ones I've run into over the years have been RNs, um, usually bachelor's prepared, sometimes master's prepared but not that many nurse practitioners. And it sounds like nurse practitioners are sort of realizing the value of this particular role. And you're a legal nurse consultant and an NP yourself. So how has this evolved into nurse practitioners, like really seeing this as a viable path for themselves in terms of their careers or even a side hustle? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Nurse practitioners make up about 3.5% of all RNs. And so it really is a a relatively small group of RNs that go on to get their nurse practitioner degree or or their APRN of any kind. And of course, there's four types of APRNs, um, certified nurse midwives, clinical nurse specialists, uh, certified registered nurse anesthetists, and nurse practitioners. But APRNs are typically seen as sort of the pinnacle of the nurse career. And I, my theory, and, and I don't know how to test this, but uh, but I've observed as well that it seems like in the legal nurse consulting arena that the percentage of uh, nurses that are taking on this role um, that are nurse practitioners tend to not reflect the actual percentage of nurse practitioners of nurse practitioners among RNs. Uh, In other words, uh, it seems like fewer nurse practitioners are stepping forward in this role. And and I don't know that for certain to be true. That's just been an observation of mine. And so my theory on that is I think that registered nurses uh, in that role tend to be a little bit more open-minded about what are my options? How else can I capitalize or 
uh, utilize my nursing knowledge base and skills to um, earn either additional income or to find an alternative means for supporting myself and my family. And so they tend to approach it with a much more open mind. Uh, and I, I wonder sometimes and feel that it may be true that nurse practitioners and other APRNs tend to consider themselves as already having reached the pinnacle of their career and and thus not really opening their eyes to potential opportunities to um to do other things with that uh that clinical experience and if you're saying that what is it 3.5 percent of nurses are actually nurse practitioners right That's so right. what what do you think the percentage of legal nurse consultants are actually NPs and has it budged at all, you know, in the last, you know, five or 10 years? You know, I, I'm not sure that I can speak directly to that statistic. Um, I just noticed that it seems to be few and far between and, mm -hmm. um, and, and in conversations with other nurse practitioners um, that, that are in this role, to me, it seems like when when I encountered it or when I approach other nurse practitioners about this possibility, it's it's not something they've ever heard of mm -hmm. um, or, or considered. And and so I think that may be something that plays into it is that nurse practitioners already are earning, um, you know, a relatively high uh, wage or um, salary compared to your average registered nurse. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to be, we'll say, complacent. Um, and so I, 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 I don't know that I can directly speak to the statistics or numbers on it, as that's not something I've been able to study myself. But I think that it's something that there's definitely a movement uh, for nurse practitioners to step into this role, especially with COVID. Nurses in general are stepping into this role more as a result, I believe, of the stress that was put on everybody in the clinical arena during COVID and the work from home general workforce movement that's been occurring and nurses are just looking for alternative ways to use their knowledge and skills. So I think it's a general movement. And within that movement, there's also a movement for nurse practitioners to take on the role. Right. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things to me personally, and I can't speak for every nursing school and every nurse practitioner school, but kind of like what I glean from talking to academics and educators and people who've been through nursing school is that these options aren't really discussed very much or at all in most nursing academic um, settings. So, you know, when someone's studying to be a nurse practitioner, how often do they run into a professor or a mentor or a preceptor who's like, hey, have you ever heard of all these other, you know, um, career options for advanced practice nurses? Have you, you know, ever considered, you know, legal nurse consulting? And I think it's a disservice to people who are entering the field that their eyes aren't opened even like a tiny, tiny bit during their education that this is even possible. Have you had thoughts like that? And have you run into the same thing? You know, I think there's a really good reason for that, actually, because attorneys are not necessarily looking for someone who is experienced in the consulting aspect. I mean, that's that's beneficial. They they in fact, there are certifications out there for legal nurse consultants to go and obtain a certification in the consulting piece and to learn more about the legal aspects um, of these these cases. Um, that said, uh, attorneys rarely ask legal nurse consultants about their certification and training in legal consulting. What they're more interested in is their clinical experience, that day-to-day -day experience of the registered nurse or nurse practitioner in the clinical setting that will that will clue them into instances where, um, in the case of medical malpractice or medical negligence, where the standards of care were not met or where they were utterly violated. And so um, or breached. And so there's really a reason why educators are not necessarily bringing this up. And that is that nurses that are just entering the nursing arena don't have the clinical experience in their back pocket. And I think it would be extremely rare for someone to dream of being a legal nurse consultant when they grow up. That's not something that I did, certainly. Um, and I, I think that would be extremely rare, partially because it's not introduced in uh, nursing school and in academia. 
but also because um, you, it's something that you are privileged to be qualified for by virtue of the of the experience that you have in the clinical arena. And so you really only become qualified to do this work when you have that experience behind you. I, I think very few attorneys would want to have a uh, registered nurse who was a new grad or someone with maybe just a year of experience to take a look at a medical record and help them to determine you know, what the issues are in that record. So I think there's a reason. That's a good point. I think, I guess one of my wishes, like in a perfect world, is that in nursing education, these little seeds would be planted, like for the future. Like consider that, you know, in 10 years or, you know, whatever, that there are other things you can do. Because people often, you know, when I mention these options to them, they're like, (laughs) it feels like I have two heads sometimes. And, but I, and I'm wondering, um, NPs are ideal for this role because of the, like you said, by virtue of their training and their experience and they're, they're registered nurses, but they've also been prescribers and they've, you know, they've, they've done the, the diagnostics and all of the things, you know, beyond what a registered nurse can do. So I'm curious when we dig into more of what's possible and what you do in this particular role. So there's, something that you've told me is called a testifying expert, right? And then there's a consulting expert who's more behind the scenes. And what are the difference between those roles? And do people specialize in one or the other? Or is that something that you can fulfill both of these types of roles? Yeah, there are a lot of legal nurse consultants that offer testifying uh, as among the services that they render to these trial attorneys. Um, And there are some that only testify and there are some that only do consulting expert work. And there is quite a distinction between the two. I even have attorneys, however, who need a little bit of education on that difference because they feel like it's duplicative to hire a consulting expert when they already have a testifying expert that is... um, you know, necessary in order to provide evidence for the case. Um, and, and I'm going to be speaking in, in this topic primarily to medical negligence and medical medical malpractice, because those are the two types of cases that we specialize in in, in our company at Discovery NP Legal Consultants. And so that's where, you know, where I'm coming from and what I can speak to. Um, so for testifying experts, their role is to actually produce the evidence for the jury to come to a conclusion at trial about whether there was negligence or a breach in the standard of care. And so whatever comes out of their mouth can be considered evidence. And the jury can look at that and try and determine how credible this person is, how um, reliable they are, how, how, um, how closely their clinical background aligns with that of the defendant, et cetera. And that's their role. The role of the consulting expert, however, or otherwise known as the behind the scenes expert or the legal nurse consultant is to guide the attorney as part of that litigation team. So another distinguishing point is that the legal nurse consultant does act as part of the litigation team, similar to a paralegal with clinical background. Um, But they're part of the litigation team And the testifying expert is technically independent. Technically, they are hired by both the defense and the plaintiff. They may be located by the plaintiff's attorney, um, but then they are actually paid for by both defense and the plaintiff. And this helps to prevent any kind of bias on the stand. They're supposed to be presenting just their opinions, strictly their opinions. Um, Nurses can act as testifying experts and are often called to do so when the defendant or a defendant in the case is also a nurse, because we need to understand what would a reasonable and prudent person do in this circumstance. And so in order to know what that, because that is the legal standard, what a reasonable and prudent person with same or similar background training and clinical experience would do. And in order to know that, the best way to get that evidence is to ask a reasonable and prudent person of same or similar background education and training what they would do. And that that becomes evidence. So nurses can act in both roles as legal nurse consultant or testifying expert behind the scenes, which is primarily what I can speak to because that's what our team does primarily. We help guide the attorney to be able to ask the right questions of the testifying expert so that they can extract the 
evidence from that expert that they need in order to make their case. So there are times where a, uh, a, a testifying expert who is often a physician and very busy um, may miss certain parts of the medical record, may uh, breeze past them or not notice them. Uh, it, it is at times not, um, physicians will not always delve very deeply into nurses' notes or some of these electronic records um, that uh, sort of the, they won't always delve into the nursing care plan and the interventions, especially uh, in the confusing electronic medical record way that they print out. Doctors sometimes get lost in, in that. Um, as nurses, we know how to navigate it. And so a behind the scenes consultant can come in, look at the medical record and identify issues that they can draw the attention of the testifying expert to those issues. And then that testifying expert can opine on those issues. But in Unless they're brought to their attention, that attorney is left just trusting that the that the testifying expert is going to find these issues, and they may not. So that that's a key role in uh, especially medical malpractice and medical negligence cases for a behind the scenes person who knows what they're looking at to draw the attorney's attention to these issues so that they can recreate their narrative by asking the right questions to the to the testifying expert. Wow. Um, it sounds complex. It sounds like it could be very intellectually, you know, um, intriguing and satisfying to play that role. It sounds like there could be some some stressful moments when you're doing this as well. But you, you know, you've been a nurse since 2003, and you worked mostly in step down ICU and inpatient cardiology. Then you got your master's ten years later in 2013, and worked as an outpatient. APRN. And I'm curious, you know, when you're working as a diagnostician or you're working as a nurse, an RN, there is a lot of intellectual intrigue or there can be things that, you know, you have to kind of puzzle through, you know, when you're working in the ICU and your patient's going south and you've got to figure out what's going on, or you're a prescriber as an APRN and, you know, you're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with this patient. How does that compare in terms of like the, the thought processes and the, how interesting it is and kind of you know, kind of draws you in when you're working in this legal capacity. What's it like? What's the difference? And how does it tap into that part of your brain that, you know, just loves this sort of thing and loves medicine and nursing? Well, that that is a, I feel like that trait, that desire to um, solve puzzles is something that I come across universally when I interview uh, nurse practitioners to join our team is they'll they'll tell me how much they enjoy the the dig and the puzzle mm. putting together. So that I feel like that's a characteristic that if that's something that intrigues you, then this is a really, really uh, fantastic uh, option. Um, I, and that's a great question. It is different in a sense, because when you're in the, the field or when you are a practitioner, um, you are trying to solve a puzzle that you don't know the the end result of and that can be like putting together a puzzle without having that original sort of you know how on the lid of a jigsaw puzzle you'll have the image that you're trying to to create and that can help because you can look at that image and look at the colors and and try and place the pieces where they go based on what you know to be the end result um in in the clinical world you don't have that advantage you don't know what the end result is you have to figure it out uh, in the legal notion consulting world we, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We, you already know that this person uh, suffered a bad outcome, or we wouldn't be here. And yes. you know what the diagnosis ultimately was that was not diagnosed or was not diagnosed in time, um, because you have that information in front of you. And your job is to kind of work backwards to try and find out where was this ball dropped, or where was the earliest point at which at which this could have been detected. But then you have to be fair and ask yourself now reasonably, would a reasonable and prudent person have known that they should have kept this, that or the other on the differential? So I want to make sure that nurses understand, especially those who are entering the world of legal nurse consulting, that just because a bad outcome occurred does not mean that there was negligence. And just because we failed to do a diagnostic, particular diagnostic test that would have 
that would have told us the diagnosis, certainly it, uh, for, for sure, uh, does not mean that there was negligence in not doing that test. It, it all comes down to whether it would have been standard of care based on the presentation to have done that test. So you have to go back and look at that presentation. And if it's, let's say, an abnormal uh, presentation, um, then you have to ask yourself, would, it, would a reasonable and prudent person uh, be expected to have known to do that test at that time? Yes, if they had done the test, they would have discovered X, Y, Z. But was it negligent to have not done the test? So there's a, several factors that you have to look at um, in legal nurse consulting, and, and uh, they are the elements that make up a, a solid case um, in in law. So, and I don't know if that goes too deep to to go there, no. but if you want to ask me a question about that, I can do. No, well, yeah, the jurisprudence stuff gets we can that can get pretty deep, but I, I'm just I'm. In, it's interesting to hear your take on sort of the the intellectual process of what sounds like you're describing as a kind of reverse engineering where you're you're kind of working backwards like you said because you know what the outcome was the patient died the patient had an injury something happened that you know shouldn't have happened you know in a certain respect and you're trying to figure out why did this happen and did someone make an error? And when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk a little bit about how nurse practitioners can mitigate liability. I've talked about that on this show before, but I, I'd like to get your take on that. I'd like to hear about your podcast, which I think is fascinating. I love interviewing fellow podcasters. And I want to hear about your company, Discovery NP Legal Consultants, and this team you've referenced several times and who's part of the team how do you find them and you know what it's like to be building something like this so does that sound good for the second half yeah that sounds great all right I look so forward to it hang in there with us for the second half of episode 416 of the nurse keith show with legal nurse consultant nurse practitioner and podcaster elisa collins And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Elisa Collins. Elisa, prior to the break, we were discussing, well, we didn't go deep into the jurisprudence because that would be a whole nother hour of conversation, but we were talking about that reverse engineering that happens, you know, when you're going to kind of pick it all apart and put it back together and figure out what happened because you already know how it, you, you know, it came about, but you don't know how it came about. What, what occurred along that timeline. But I'm interested to know, for any nurse practitioners listening out there, maybe they're new to being an APRN, maybe they've been in it for a while, but what are some of the best practices for mitigating liability? And I know this could be a whole hour conversation as well, but what are a couple tips you have based on what you've seen and what you've experienced? It really could be a whole conversation of, in and of itself. And actually, I do have an entire lecture that I present because I, I go through these cases and I just think these are so preventable. Um, and, and truly, uh, we all make mistakes that no one can dispute that as uh, practitioners, we as nurses and as practitioners, we all make mistakes. And making a mistake does not necessarily mean that you will be liable or that you will be sued or that if you are sued, that it will be successful. And I like to remind nurses and nurse practitioners that the statistics generally indicate that um, that a a large percentage, um, upwards of 80% of uh, cases never go to trial. So if, if you've been, you know, uh, served papers indicating that you are being sued, um, you know, you might want to call an advocate, but that that you it's it's good to know that a good deal of these cases do settle out um, and that um, even more cases, and if you've if you've come across an incident where you know that something didn't go quite right, um, there's a large number of people that will not even pursue the situation. And indeed, nurse practitioners, compared to physicians, tend to be sued much less often. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I don't know what plays into that, but that is 
That has been observed to be true. Um, and so sometimes nothing does come of it. Um, it's, it's sad when some bad outcome occurs, but also um, when they do call an attorney, um, I've had universally attorneys tell me that uh, they only accept about two out of every 50 cases that come across their desk. And so, you know, certainly people can seek a second opinion, but just because a, a patient says I'm going to sue, which can be a scary uh, a prospect does not necessarily mean number one, that they will number two, that anyone will help them or number three, that they will be successful. So I just want to start with that because it can be scary. Um, especially the more you learn about legal nurse consulting, it can be scary because you can read these stories and you can go, Oh my gosh, that could have been me. Mm-hmm. And I do have, like I said, a, an entire lecture full of uh, recommendations specific to the practitioner, the nurse practitioner, the APRN. Um, and I'd be happy to, uh, you know, if anyone would be interested in in all of those, just please reach out uh, all of those tips. Uh, but but some of my best tips are, are basically one thing that I feel like nurse practitioners and practitioners don't, providers don't do a good enough job of is documenting when someone called you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we trust often that the nurse is documenting that because as nurses we know when you call a doctor you document that you called the doctor and uh as a practitioner you go oh well that's nice the nurse called me and so she's going to document that she called me and it's all good but you better believe that that nurse is documenting that she called you the practitioner because she wants to get the monkey off of her back or he wants to get that monkey off of his back and nobody's getting the monkey off of your back as a practitioner and so it is very wise to document your perspective of that call uh, what you were told as opposed to the rn or the nurse who's calling you uh documenting what they told you because in communication there's receptive communication and mm-hmm. there's expressive communication and what is expressed may not always be what is received. And this is where closed loop communication comes in, as we're all familiar with, um, to re- to reply back and say, now I understand the patient is experiencing XYZ symptoms and that you would like me in, in using the SBAR technique, you would like me to do these things and get confirmation that you have received what they were expressing. And then if you decide to go a different direction to explain why, and then to document all of that yourself as soon as reasonably possible. So you may be at home uh, receiving the call on an, uh, when you're on call, but to jot down as much of it as you need to, to be able to clearly remember it when you get back in and then to document it from your perspective. And I rarely see this done. And I think it's sad because the practitioner really isn't being legally covered by the documentation of the nurse. To the contrary, they're actually usually being implicated or that that monkey is being passed on to their back, mm-hmm. which can be devastating for nurse practitioners if indeed it was not their error. And right. and also if I if if I may point out that um when you document thoroughly and you always document your rationale for your judgment call, for your intervention that you, or for your treatment plan, uh, when you document that, because it will be two, three, four years before you're before a jury on the topic. And when you document clearly your rationale, it allows you to recall that clearly, or if even if you can't recall it, it's right there in front of you. So you know what, what your thought process was. If that is a reasonable and prudent thought process, even though it may have been incorrect or wrong, it will drastically reduce your liability because you were acting reasonably and prudently. So my second recommendation besides documenting when you're being called or when you've been called by uh, a nurse or or some other representative um, or caregiver of the patient, uh, my second suggestion would be to always remember to document your rationale thoroughly actually think through your fingers uh, as I tell people, you know, on that keyboard to, to use that keyboard to document, not just what they did, but why. Mm-hmm. So the, the patient presented with these symptoms, this is what I, what the nurse communicated to me. So I've, my differential is this and I'm dis, I'm choosing to treat for X or Y because Right. And it comes down to what I remember being taught in nursing school from, I think, literally the first day I sat down in my seat in nursing school was if you don't write it down, 
It never happened. And yeah. And you're right. Four years hence, if you're sitting in front of a jury, how are you going to remember? So I think I love that that metaphor of thinking through your fingers and just, you know, you have to take the time. And time is often, I believe, personally, what keeps us from doing what we likely should do, especially for documentation, right? Isn't isn't yeah. the, the rush of treatment and the rush of healthcare what prevents people from taking the time to do that? Yeah, many times that's true. And and I would say um, if you are as a practitioner, we have the advantage sometimes of having dictation uh, abilities. That's not always true. I wish it were. Um, but dictation, you don't even have to think through your fingers, just think through your mouth, you know, speak those uh, the rationales. But when you do that, it does drastically reduce your liability, even if a bad outcome occurred. Um, bad outcomes occur sometimes. And it, you can demonstrate, especially in documenting why you didn't do a certain intervention. Um, and that seems to be outside the box sometimes when documenting, but saying, uh, I, I chose, I, I did not do a CT angio because the patient described their chest pain as being X and so, some type of, you know, substernal following eating. Or what, or what have you, that just really redirects to, okay, this is not a PE. I don't need to do a CT angio. And mm-hmm. even if it is a PE, guess what? You're not going to get in trouble for not doing the CT angio if you documented all the reasons why you empirically ruled that out without diagnostic testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of this can be applied to nursing as well when you're an RN and you're making particular decisions on the fly and you can choose to write it down. And I think one of the problems possibly with electronic medical records is that there's a lot of boxes to click, but there's not necessarily always an area to write a narrative. And I think this box clicking can become very for lack of a better term, robotic or automatic. And we're not writing, you know, narratives in our own words. And I think that that lack of prose documentation can really be a problem. So this, there's so many different factors here. And you, you bring a lot of people into the loop here with you in terms of your company. You're the CEO at Discovery NP Legal Consultants, and you're located in Boise, Idaho. And you mentioned your team several times. And I'm curious, who who makes up your team? Are they all nurse practitioners or do they come with other expertise as well? And how do you find them? And um, what's it like now as an NP being the head of, you know, a growing burgeoning company? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Yes. A Discovery NP Legal Consultants is, um, was, was, um, conceived about two years ago and we've we've finally got it off the ground about one year ago so we're relatively new in the space but what i was hearing from my own uh, attorney clients is that they wanted to have a one-stop shop where they could just call someone um, that they have in a speed dial in their phone and then that person could connect them with the right specialist and so that's what um i began to recruit uh, nurse practitioners to become a part of a team to be able to to fulfill that uh, that pain point for attorneys. And so my our team of nurse practitioners at Discovery NP Legal Consultants right now consists of I think there's 12 of us counting myself. And these were hand selected individuals. And I say that I I recruit from the bedside, uh, which means that I um, I actually uh, went to people who had not really considered legal nurse consulting before and invited them to join our team. And in that way, I was able to uh, coach them and mentor them uh, with the methods and approaches that we use, which are rather unique, um, to present the information to the attorneys. And so our team presently consists of, again, all APRNs. We do have a certified registered nurse anesthetist, and we are currently on the market for a certified nurse midwife. Um, But we're open to all APRNs. That said, uh, the, the average lay person doesn't know what APRN means. And 
and people are learning more and more what NP means. And so our name uh, doesn't necessarily exclude other APRNs. Um, and so we have people who are first assists in surgery. Uh, we have nurse practitioners who are first assists in surgery, uh, both spinal and ortho and uh, other types of surgeries. Uh, we have individuals who have worked in the NICU for decades, in pediatrics for decades, um, and so and, and obstetrics, certainly, which is a high, uh, highly uh, litigious area of medicine. Yes. And so we, we just hand-selected and recruited a variety of specialists. And as we grow, we will just be adding to those specialists um, based on demand uh, for, for the cases in that area. Right. So you have, you can have adult gerontological, you can have psychiatric mental health, neonatal, like you said. So there's, there's all sorts of scenarios that are going to pop up. And of course you want APRNs who have expertise in those particular milieus. And so you've worked as an APRN, you've also worked as an RN. You also have a master's in psychology with an emphasis in life coaching. And I know you and your husband are co-authoring a book um, about personal development. And I'm curious, you know, your background in psychology as well and coaching, how does that kind of weave its way into your work as a legal nurse consultant and also working with your team? What's that like? These are such interesting questions. Um, I, I appreciate them. Um, I actually intended to uh, create a course and to coach individuals into launching their own companies and becoming entrepreneurs in the legal nurse consulting space before a handful of my clients expressed that they would really like to have a, a one-stop shop. Um, and so I sort of shifted my focus to building this team um, prior to even deciding that I wanted to do uh, a legal nurse consulting course. I had been interested in uh, coaching and life coaching, business coaching, et cetera. And uh, I had a heart for what's involved in asking the right questions to, to be able to get the individual to find the answer inside themselves, et cetera. And uh, really just encouraging people on their path to success. And so when I first had the idea to generate a course for legal nurse consultants, I actually resisted it because I felt that it did not fulfill what I felt to be my purpose and calling, which was to coach and mentor. And as the more that I followed uh, the, the direction that I felt guided to, um, the more I realized that I was actually coaching and mentoring every single day in this role. And actually with my, uh, my nurse practitioners that are on our team, I have sort of an open door mentoring policy where they all have access to my scheduling calendar and they can book time with me whenever they want to go over a case or to um, help help to get some help on how to present the case. Um, I may not be a uh, an expert in their clinical arena, but I don't need to be because they are really brilliant in their clinical arena. And I'm just there to help them present the information in a way that the average layperson attorney and the average layperson jury can understand. Mm -hmm. and, and so I coach them through that. And, and I truly feel that my experience and background in psychology has really been an interesting addition to my toolbox. I think that's a great addition. You have you have such a nice combination of, you know, your work as an RN, you know, on the floor, you know, boots on the ground, and then as an APRN and the psychology and life coaching and now the legal nurse consulting, you've you've put together a a really fascinating career. And you've also added podcaster to the list of skills and things that you do. And tell us about the MedMall podcast and when did that begin? And what what was the, um, the catalyst for you to think like, hmm, I think it's time for me to hop on the mic? You know, that that I would never, ever would have in a million years imagined myself doing a podcast uh -huh. about a year ago. Um, but yeah, all of these things. And I feel like, you know, just existentially, I feel like uh, a lot of times we look back on our experiences and go, that is so interesting how this one thing led to the next and this led to the next. And, and that's really uh, been my experience is that, uh, again, I was involved in life coaching and actually wanted to step away from the um, the, the nursing arena altogether, uh, 
step out clinically, et cetera, just literally let my license lapse. And then I had some cases land in my lap and decided then to do pursue those. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Then I decided to produce a course. Then I decided to mm. switch my coaching to legal nurse consulting coaching, which then led to building this team. And um, in uh, attending conferences for with my own business coach, which I highly recommend that you get a business coach. I, I, I think everyone could benefit from a business coach. And I highly recommend you look for someone who is who has a niche or specialty in the arena that you would like to move towards or in that area. And, and I have a legal nurse consulting business coach myself, and, um, and and I'm happy to share that with whomever reaches out to me as well. Um, but I, did, I was attending a conference uh, with a business coach and they were talking about um, actually writing a book. And I thought, I do not have time to write a book. And I thought I could write, I could write a book on stories uh, where nurses have helped attorneys um, to, to find the smoking gun in these cases. But what occurred to me is that most attorneys would not necessarily want to curl up with a good book about legal nurse consulting. However, they most wouldn't. attorneys... You know, I, I they they may they may curl up with a good book about medical malpractice, but not necessarily from a nursing perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, they do all they read all day long. You know, doc, they call it doc review, and it, it's uh, you know, I I don't know, but I would imagine a lot of attorneys don't put reading at the top of their leisure list because it's what they do. Mm -hmm. all day long and they, they just need a break from it. That said, mm -hmm. um, it occurred to me sort of tangentially that I could do it audibly or I could do it via a podcast and that these attorneys do commute to work and they would listen to, to something that is short and consumable and something that is understandable at the layperson level that breaks down these issues and helps them to be able to uh, gain some skills themselves in at least noticing when there's red flags in a medical record and noticing when they have a potential case that they should get a consultant to come look at. Brilliant. Yeah. And I, I think it's great. I think it's a good addition to the podcasting uh, world out there. So I'm really excited that you're doing it and you're, you know, I think, I know it can be a little bit of a heavy lift at first, but podcasting is a great way to reach people. And I think you have the perfect voice and the perfect cadence for being a podcaster. And one last question I have for you about this whole world in which you are, but we could go on for a long time. But I'm, if I'm a nurse practitioner and I think, huh, this sounds really interesting to me. What would be the first step that person takes if they want to like dip their toe in the water and see, huh, maybe being a legal nurse consultant might be something I would consider doing? Well, um, I do have people reach out to me regularly um, asking how they can get started or whether we're hiring. Um, and, uh, you know, I guarantee you we will be uh, recruiting and slash hiring um, down the road because we anticipate growth, but I'm not always at any given moment necessarily looking to add to our, our list of contractors on our team. That said, uh, the vast majority of legal nurse consultants work independently. And, um, you know, most nurses are not, you know, we've been W2s slash employees our entire career. And so we're not necessarily entrepreneurial minded, which is again, why I highly recommend getting a coach that can help with mm -hmm. not just the technical aspects of launching a business um, when you've always been a W-2 employee. But, and I think this is critical and much more important, but the psychological and mental hurdles that you're going to have to push through to move from the mentality of an employee into mm -hmm. the mentality of an entrepreneur and business owner. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it is not, it's, that's like comparing a NICU baby and their care to an adult or a geri geriatric patient and their care. It is not just you know, a NICU baby is not just a small adult mm -hmm. and it, it is an entirely different uh, sort of mentality to be uh, living, even if you have worked your way up the corporate ladder and you are um, a manager of some kind or even a director uh, um, or something, it, it's an entirely different mentality to own your own business. And that needs to be, um, I think, coached out of people. So yeah. I would encourage you to find not just a course or an instructor, 
but actually a coach and mentor. Mm -hmm. And do you have to be certified as a legal nurse consultant? And what is a NPCLP? Is that the credential? Uh, that, those are such excellent questions, and I'm so glad you asked those. Um, legal nurse consulting is not regulated by any uh, any particular body. And so both LNC, which stands for legal nurse consultant, and NPCLP, which stands for nurse practitioner consultant to the legal profession, both of these roles are simply titles not credentials. Mm -hmm. um, you can get certified. There are various bodies out there that have taken it upon themselves to become authorities in the area. Um, however, they're not regulating bodies per se. They are just, um, they have assumed a, a, a authority sort of an authoritative role um, and they offer credentialing um, and uh, you know it's a good idea to do homework as to which of those credentialing programs makes the most sense for you um, however I have yet to have an attorney ask me or any of my team members whether they are or are not certified what they care more about is your clinical experience uh, that said it, it is a highly competitive field um, I I I never like to use the word saturated because I feel like that's a limitate, like that's a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, and this is why I run a podcast uh, where I present other legal nurse consultants, technically my competition competition, and I allow them to share their website on my podcast because I don't feel I, I have an abundant mentality where I know that, that if attorneys only knew what nurses can do to help them, there would be an abundance of work and there would not be enough nurses to, to assist with all the work that there would be. And I just wanted to add that, yeah, you, you, you can get certified uh, as a legal nurse consultant, but it is not necessary. It's not something attorneys will ask you about. And um, titles are things like CEO. When you when you open a company, you can immediately call yourself a CEO and no one will stop you. Mm -hmm. Both of these roles have the letter C in them, which doesn't stand for certified. It sounds, stands for the word consultant. And you are indeed a consultant. And uh, the other words are all just modifiers. Mm -hmm. What type of consultant are you? You are a legal nurse consultant. Mm -hmm. You are a nurse practitioner consultant to whom? To the to the legal profession. Mm -hmm. And so you can assume those titles the moment you decide you want to offer yourself as a consultant. Awesome. That's great. And I think it's good for us to understand the difference between credentials and roles because that can be quite confusing. So mm -hmm. I'd love to talk to you more, but we do have to wind down. And I have four quick questions lightning round i ask all my my guests are you game okay yeah okay first question how do you define success personally or professionally i define success as waking up every morning with um a an urgency and an eagerness to get to work as opposed to the dread that we often that we often feel when we're in the mundane grind. And I think that once you find a role that you feel excited to do every day, that you've you found success in that sense. I love that. That's nice. Okay. Second question. Could you name or just describe if you don't want to name them a person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous or not famous in any way whatsoever. Um, I think that one of my inspirations in legal nurse consulting is Stephanie Edwards, who happens to be my, uh, my coach. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that what she offered, um, actually allowed me to realize, okay, as long as there's someone out there that offers true mentorship and coaching in the legal nurse consulting space with all the psychological elements that I was looking for and needed to, to flip my mentality, as long as that exists out there then um, I don't need to feel like I have to do that, which was what I felt drawn to. And then I was able to shift my attention to this other uh, pursuit. And, and so she, I feel like she has been an inspiration to me in both her legal nurse consulting company and also in her coaching. Hmm, lovely. Okay. Third question, penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't need to be an absolute favorite because that's hard for many of us to conjure that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life or the way you do your work? I think the very, one of the very first personal development books that I um, 
that I connected with was the compound effect, um, which I feel like is, uh, you know, basic sort of kindergarten for entering into the space of personal development. And it really opened up the doors for me to engage more in personal development and invest in myself and flip that mentality again. Um, and so the compound effect, I believe it's, I don't remember who it's by, but anyway, the compound effect is, and the slight edge both have a similar uh, premise to them. And both of them were instrumental in pointing me in the direction of even more personal development. Hmm. Awesome. Okay. Last question. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, what's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And this means you have ultimate power so what would be your first step, your first action? Oh, if I were queen of the world tomorrow, mm-hmm. and there's no limits to this, no right? No limits whatsoever, <laughs> whatsoever. I would declare that everyone's eyes are now opened and they can see their true potential. Wow. Nice. I love that. And I love I love that little bit of fantasy for a second because it gets people's minds working. And I always have to add the caveat ultimate power, meaning you can do anything. And this is only your first action and you can follow up with many more actions, but I like that. Open people's eyes to their true potential. So Elisa, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. I could talk to you for much longer, but I think this was a good bite of the apple in terms of legal nurse consulting and nurse practitioners and APRNs. I recommend people go to NPLegalConsultants.com, that they find NP Legal Consultants on Facebook and LinkedIn, and also MedMal Podcast. They can find that on any podcast app out there in the world. So I recommend people tune in and listen because they're going to learn something for sure. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time that you've taken and I really respect and honor what you're doing as both a podcaster and a coach. So I will continue to listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for introducing me. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be on any app where you're listening or at nursekeith.com. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, look no further than Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. We are proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Speeson is our social media media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Albert Schweitzer. Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Elisa Collins saying arrivederci from Boise, Idaho beautiful Boise. Thank you, Elisa. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. 